for tuning in to the HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney. The HR Uprising is focused on helping forward-thinking people professionals deliver real lasting value in their organizations. I'm a chartered psychologist, speaker, and trainer, and recently authored the best-selling business book, How to Be a Change Superhero. My day job is founder and CEO of software and training business, Actus. This gives me the opportunity to work with other businesses like yours. We are focused on building a better workplace for people wherever they are located with the help of our performance, learning and talent management software and our training and consultancy services. Every week on the podcast, I will be covering different topics and challenges joined by relevant experts and real life people professionals. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy and get value from this week's episode. Welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, I'm going to talk about purpose over perks and how organizations can add greater value during a downturn. We know it's tricky times out there. And I'm delighted that I've got Victoria Lewis Stevens here, who's the MD at United Culture. And this is a topic that she works with businesses on a lot. And I thought it'd be really highly relevant for our audience. Victoria, thank you for joining me today. Would you like to introduce yourself a bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So um, thank you so much for inviting me along to, to chat to you about this. Um, it's interesting and it's absolutely at the heart of um, our business at United Culture and something we're really, really passionate about. And, and how did you get into this area? Um, how, did it, how did it become your area of interest or focus? Um, I think if the truth be known, most of the organisations that we were talking to and working with, really when it came down to solving some of their business challenges it came down to being issues with regards to sort of culture or levels of engagement within an organization or within a business so we actually have looked to sort of deep dive into that and just work through actually how can we help organizations with their employee experience um, with their culture articulating the culture they've got today what they might need in the future in order to drive the business forward and then sort of wrapped into that you tend to find that there's a lot that you get into in terms of change and transformation when businesses are sort of either going through hard times because of a downturn and they need to change direction and pivot, actually they usually need quite a lot of support to take their people with them on that journey, which I think is where sort of the link back to purpose and culture has come from um, for us as an organisation. It's also something that's really interesting, fascinating. So it's a good place to, to play. It is, isn't it? And, and I mean, I'm interested the whole idea of purpose, I suppose, when I talk to when we've done training on things like objective setting or people go feeling people um, are connected with a, a bigger purpose is shown to be more motivational. But it's interesting that, you know, part of what we're going to talk about here is it's not necessarily about perks. And, you know, I, I know that lots of organisations might be thinking, right, we've got to engage our people. Let's invest in a, a perk scheme or some sort of benefits type approach and so it seems to me that you're going at it in a slightly deeper way would you say yeah absolutely and it's I mean you can't say and we can't get away from the fact that people want fair pay they want to be paid fairly for the for the job that they do in the role they play within an organization so I think that's table stakes that's the bit that gets someone in in the room and motivated to participate and get involved with what an organization's doing the, but the bit that really unlocks something special, I think, in an organization, and it's where you get different levels of performance and innovation, um, is really when you get people kind of rallying behind the purpose of a business um, and the difference that an organization can make at a macro level or a micro level. It kind of doesn't matter. You just need to get people excited 
galvanize together as a community um, moving in the same direction. And I think that's half, half the battle. You know, people absolutely want to feel valued for the contribution that they make and they want to feel like they're making a difference. And I think if they can connect their own personal values to the values and the purpose of an organization, it makes that easier. Um, and it makes the sort of the communication process and the engagement process easier. Um, you very often hear about people staying at organizations because it's something they passionately believe in. Um, and, and I think that's true. You know, you tend to get attracted to the brands and to the organizations that are out there talking about the difference they make in the world. And certainly I think places like the NHS, presumably lots of people tolerate not having the reward that they might want because they really passionately believe in in purpose in those sorts of roles, don't they? Um, exactly. I mean, it's interesting. So I, I uh, remember my, my first role, I worked for a pharmaceutical company. And actually, now I probably think that that's ripping off the NHS but at the time I very much believed in the um the, the drugs that they were doing it was all about helping people and that sort of thing so I felt quite passionate about that and then I moved from there to a telecoms company and I remember feeling it was much harder to get engaged with what they were doing because just telephones seemed so I suppose because I was motivated more by people and I could see a direct link between um you know pharmaceuticals and helping people then I couldn't see it so much as telephones for a very simple sort of analogy so if you were working with a, a cu customer um, you know a business that perhaps I don't know it's harder to get engaged about um, or put, find a purpose how would you help them I think a telco organization is actually quite an interesting example because I just think it, it's a very practical product it's a very practical tool um, but actually if you think about what a telco organization does they create connections and usually very human connections. They, you know, connect you with your family, with your loved ones. They bring people closer together. They bring communities closer together. You know, they enable people to, you know, you kind of think about sort of the outcomes. You know, they'll enable a doctor to connect with a, with a patient and help them make them better and improve their lives. So I think one of the things that organizations have got to get much better at doing is talking about the impact of what they do and the difference that it makes to individuals and it goes I mean you're absolutely spot on you know like a lot of what a lot of the reason we do what we do is because it's a very people orientated business and that's kind of exciting and you know the way people behave and they interact with one another is um is fascinating I just think you've got to get to that people story um quite quickly and I think purpose can very often be a vehicle to enable you to do that you know why do we exist as an organization what are we here to do what's the difference we make to individuals play that up people can connect with that much more easily yeah so what so it's a bit like I'm thinking, yeah so, so so would you therefore work with the business to help them if they hadn't got their purpose statement and you've got this whole thing where you've got purpose and mission and vision and it all becomes a little bit values and all these things can become um a little bit complicated to know which one's which and, and maybe um trite I suppose if they're not real so how would you help um an organization create that clear purpose so we do a mixture of things. So sometimes we'll work with organisations and they don't have a purpose. So actually we'll help them get under the skin of what the purpose is for them and their organisation. In other instances, um, we work with clients and they've got an articulated purpose. They just haven't necessarily brought it to life in a compelling and interesting way for their people. So some of it's around, you know, and you're absolutely right, you know, kind of vision, values, mission, all of that sort of hangs around and is in support of an organization's purpose. A lot of the work we do is helping to make sense of that and creating a really clear story that brings it to life in a compelling way that people can, can understand how everything connects together. Because um, I think the secret and, the, and the, the key thing is, 
it doesn't matter almost what the purpose, what the mission, what the values, what the strategy is of an organization. It's how does the individual role connect to that? And, and an, individual, an individual can't connect to that unless they understand what the overarching story is and how it all hangs together. So we do a lot of work in that space, helping organizations you know, tell their story in a way that joins the dots, personalizes and humanizes the stories so people really understand the difference the organization makes to the, the broader world. Um, and then helping find ways of people actually connecting what they do on a day-to-day basis to that, that end story and that end contribution. And that can be quite varied because obviously, you know, if you kind of the, the telco analogy, you know, you've got, you know, mm-hmm. engineers, you've got kind of like call center operatives, you've got a real spectrum of employees. So actually a lot of the work that we do is also about getting into the mindset of those different groups understanding who they are, understanding what makes them ticks, what motivates them, what their purpose is, so that when we're starting that engagement process, actually it's segmented and it's specific for the individual. It feels relevant to them and it feels real to them on a day-to-day basis. So it sounds quite consultative then, is it? So when you're doing that, so if, if there's someone listening, and because I have lots of, uh, let's say, individual HR practitioners out there who, who might listen, who work with smaller businesses who wouldn't necessarily be able to um, bring in United Culture. Have you got any top tips on the sort of things that they could do, the sort of questions that they could ask to their audience if they wanted to get people thinking this way? Because it's, it's, it's this bringing it to life. So you might have a purpose statement, but it is like a, a mission statement. It's kind of out there on the wall and it's not necessarily got the story or the meaning around it. What what sort of coaching questions could they ask to help help people? I think I think it's twofold, I guess. So very often, if there's a purpose out there that doesn't feel like it's lived within the organisation, I think the real question that um, a HR practitioner should be asking is, is it the right purpose? If it's not lived within the organisation, then it might be so abstract from what you're doing on a day-to-day basis that doesn't feel connected. So I think that the starting point, honestly, is about having an honest conversation with the leadership team and saying, you know, kind of actually... Um, our strategy and our purpose don't feel like they're connected. We need to either find a way of connecting them or actually maybe the purpose isn't quite articulated in the way that it should be. So it doesn't feel relevant to people today. So I think that's the starting point. Okay, yeah. Um, I think once you've kind of established that, you know, kind of the purpose is is right for the organisation, it doesn't matter how, you know, it can be quite out there. Sometimes it can be quite sort of um, quite quite abstract and actually quite intangible maybe not something you will necessarily achieve but actually everything everything underneath it should ladder back up to that purpose so the second question we'd be asking um, in any organization and we usually co-create a lot of the work that we do with the people that is impacting or targeted towards the second thing we'd be doing is talking to people about what a purpose is in the organization and what role it should play on in the day-to-day um getting employees across the organization involved in a conversation that asks them if that's the purpose of the organization what behaviors need to show up in order for us to live that on a day-to-day basis and I think that would start to get after things like actually do the values stack up is the articulation of the values in the organization right are the way that we're behaving as a business and interacting with each other and our customers kind of in pursuit of that overarching purpose And then once you start that conversation, honestly, it kind of snowballs because I think some of it is just about that process in itself starts to get people thinking about why we exist as a business. If you're starting to talk to people about how they show up and interact with one another, they start to think a little bit more overtly about how they're operating on a day to day basis and actually what they could change, what they need to dial up a little bit more. 
Um, so I think that's that's the starting point, I think, for any conversation about how you bring a purpose to life in a business. I do think HR professionals are in a really, really unique position because they they touch and own a lot of the sort of the, the key moments and the milestones in, in an employee life cycle. So they have a huge amount of influence over sort of the employee experience on a day to day basis, everything from, you know, how somebody is recruited into the organization, how they're onboarded into in, in a business, how they sort of receive and, you know, communications on a day to day basis, their, you know, objective settings, every single aspect of the employee life cycle should feel like it emulates the behaviors that support the purpose of the business. So I think you, in some respects, HR professionals have the ability not only to sort of help tell the story and connect the dots, but really make a very meaningful difference to how purpose comes to life <coughs> across those employee um, touch points. And there are very few functions that can do that. There's very few functions that have that level of ownership. Um, and I think that's where the interesting things start to happen because, you know, the storytelling and the connecting the dots and bringing it all together is... Honestly, it's only the starting point. And there are a lot of businesses that just do that. If you really want to embed and get a different culture and bring purpose to life in an organization in a really meaningful way, it's the employee life cycle. And it's those key milestones and those touch points that really make the difference. Because it's almost the business's way of saying, we're not just talking about this, we're doing it. We're doing it very overtly, very boldly. And we're really serious about helping our people to align themselves and their role and what they're doing on a day to day behind their purpose. It's interesting you, you raise that point because I think often um, HR, let's say uh, it, often HR sort of policies or um, if you talk about values, those things um, people often shout out at if they see there's a, a disconnect. They can, you know, and so, I mean, I remember that one of the organisations I worked for, they had this, uh, one of the values, and this is really back when values was a very new thing and what it was called respect for people. Well, that was, that was without a shadow of a doubt, the most bandied about well where's our respect for people type thing that, that disgruntled people would would push back on in terms of, of those and it is interesting that often we might have policies I've seen quite forward-thinking HR uh, people sort of rework their policy handbooks so that it's not very robotic if they want to be very people-oriented that they, they try to make it actually reflect that um, and do you see people doing more of that sort of thing or is that the sort of thing you're talking about where HR can make a difference across the employee life cycle what sort of things could people do to try and uh, you know, assume they've identified their purpose to make sure that everything is aligned. Yeah, I think that we are seeing a few more organisations start to think about policies in a very different way, policies and procedures in a very different way. Um, I think what employees are looking for and what they find fulfilment in is kind of, you know, good salary, sense of worth and flexibility. And flexibility is a very broad word. And, and by that, I don't mean hybrid working. I mean, flexibility and treating people as an individual and the level of personalization and kind of that policies and personalization is slightly conflicting. So I think organizations or smarter organizations are really starting to think about, you know, kind of how can we develop policies that are frameworks rather than sort of diktats that give um, line managers the autonomy to apply the policy in a way that's really meaningful for the individual that they're sat in front of, that's trying to avail themselves of a benefit or a, or a process. And I think that's where the business can show up very differently. Um, I think people are very hesitant to go down that route though, um, yeah. for, for very obvious reasons. And I actually think hybrid working is almost like a classic. 
you know, kind of the hybrid working policies are um, and have and still continue to be really controversial. You know, people have gone from full flexibility to, you know, operating in a way that makes most sense for you as an individual to mandating two or three days back into the office. So it's kind of like flipping around a little bit. And in, in some respects, I think that probably puts HR practitioners off from developing frameworks instead of sort yeah. of you know, really, really specific policies. But actually, I think over will find that that settles um, you know there's a practical reality you know people um, who work for organizations need to interact with one another in person and virtually in equal measure in my humble view and flexible working and hybrid working is just that it means you know working in a number of different ways not just in one way at home um, so I think using sort of that idea of flexibility um, is it, when it comes to policies is absolutely crucial. I was, I was having a conversation when I, and I won't mention the individual, but I was having a conversation really in, recently around um, somebody who was dealing with somebody in an organization who just had a family bereavement. And um, he was really frustrated by the policy. He's worked with this individual in two companies prior to the company he's working at now. Um, he knows them really well. He was actually working for him at a time when he had a, a previous family bereavement. And at that time, he knows him and he was just able to say to him, go, take the time you need, do what you need to do, come back when you're ready, we're here if you need us. In this organisation he's working for now, they get a week out. A week out for bereavement, um, a leave policy, and, and that's it. There's no flexibility in it at all. You know, his, his view is if, if I was just given the autonomy, there are people where that would be that would be enough space. They need to come back. They need to be around people. They need to be getting on with the day job. It's just like I know this person. If, if they come back after that five day period, he will be off with stress at oh. today. Oh. And I think that sort of that that lack of flexibility and that lack of a framework actually has caused an issue later down the line. And that same organization is looking at well-being programs and mental health programs. And it really doesn't it doesn't add up. That's really um, yeah. interesting as an example that I, I mean, there's a couple of things that came out of that. That particular example is interesting because I understand in large, uh, so I would obviously, in a, we run a very small business, like 12, 15 of us. It's quite easy to go, yeah, give people the right time. And, and that feels like the right thing to do. That said, I've worked for a large business, which would undoubtedly have had, um, I don't know, bereavement leave of two days. Or in fact, I think they had it spelt out by how close the relation is to you. But people still had empowerment. So this is where the disconnect is. Is that is that manager genuinely? Do they have to follow that policy to the letter, which sounds like he feels he did, or is there some sort of empowerment and flexibility where it's it can be interpreted, um, which is a, a tricky one. The um, the other thing that that came out of what you said there, which was a bit of a light bulb actually, I think for me there is what you started off saying was it's about purpose. And I think if you think about it, if your people who are working for you um, or with you are purpose driven, they buy into the purpose um, of the organisation that they are therefore engaged, then you shouldn't have to dictate. They will come back. You should be able to trust them to take the time they need because um, you don't go, this is how long it is. But of course, this is the tricky thing because we have these policies because there are people who are disengaged. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes then shoehorning them into a, a an, into a sort of an inappropriate framework or policy is going to make them less engaged as well so it's all really loaded isn't it it's quite tricky 
really tricky and I think and and your point about you know is it empowerment or is it is it was the individual empowered no I don't think they felt empowered at all to move outside the policy um which was massively frustrating for them because that's not something they'd experienced in an organization before but but you also have policies in place for new managers who perhaps don't know how to you know kind of show up and don't know what they should do so there is a piece around you know, kind of empowerment policies should be a framework that enables people to operate effectively and consistently across the organization. But I think that that sort of empowerment piece also comes with trust. You know, if it's a genuinely purpose-driven organization, then you need to trust your line managers to make the right calls um, that reflect the purpose of the organization and are the right things for the individual and the business, because it can't, you know, it's about balance, isn't it? It needs to be right for the individual, but it also needs to work for the organization. And I'll come back to you on that in terms of the the managers, what skills and support the managers need, because I completely agree that that's what we need to do. It's just quite tricky um, to do that, which is why you have a policy, because then you just follow the policy. Um, but mm-hmm. I, the other the question that I think comes out as well is this whole thing is what is fair? And if you uh, if you think about it, is fair treating everybody the same, which is what a policy is, or is fair treating people in a way that they feel, you know, is equally empowering or you know it feels fair to them if it's just mean that personalization approach and as soon as you go to the personalization approach which I agree feels like the right thing to do in a progressive organization award and for an engagement point of view it's just so ambiguous and it's it's not clear it's not black and white which what policy is and that's really tricky so how do we support our managers in being able to deal with that ambiguity to be fair and consistent but not necessarily treating everybody exactly the same I think you've got to have some parameters in place and the fairness is subjective. So kind of what I might think is, uh, you know, my colleague might completely disagree and just say, no, that's actually, it's too much. It's too much. Um, But I actually think that's where something like, you know, the strategy of the organization, the purpose of the organization can help because they're almost like a North star that help people to feel empowered to make the right decisions. You know, if the organization's purpose is, I don't know, um, making moments matter, then then every moment in that employee inter- employee and organisational interaction should reflect that, um, which would suggest to me more personalised um, and actually really understanding who I am and doing what's right for me as an individual. Um, I think most people, if they're engaged and they're um, in the in the organisation and they feel like their personal values reflect and support an organisation's um, purpose most people are sensible enough to recognize I can't have it my own way and I can't just have what I want. So things can be personalized to a degree, but it's about having a conversation, not giving somebody access to a document. And I think that's the key. I think very often, you know, policies and processes, they're online and you're referred to, and it's very, it's very not human. It's very not an opportunity for connection and opportunity for conversation. And I think that's where there's a richness and, and that's that richness enables people to understand why you can't perhaps be as flexible as you might want to or why you need to think about things in a slightly different way. People get that. Yes. And, and it might be that the policy says this uh, and it's maybe being aware that the, strictly speaking, the policy is this. But I can see that that's not enough time for you. But, you know, it's, you know, so you take what you need, but just let's be aware that we're interpreting the policy in a certain way. It's perhaps being very clear about that so that it's not... Um, the, people are always concerned about setting precedent, aren't they, uh, in terms of something that becomes uh, abused. So if we move on from 
done that. We talked about purpose in terms of genuine deep engagement and actually how um, personalization um, it is nuanced in terms of, of how we get the best out of people. If we are looking to try and um, support or reward people, but we don't necessarily have lots of money because no one's rich at the moment uh, in terms of, or certainly many people feel feel less so and, and businesses do in terms of these sort of things. What what are your thoughts about, you know, the sort of traditional coffee vouchers or per, per type tool? You know, there's these companies aren't there that offer you perks that you can hand out. Um, what's, what's your take on that as to what we can do to reward people, to recognise them? I think reward and recognition can come in a million different guises and actually it doesn't always have to be something financial. Um, I think sort of very often, you know, subsidised canteens, coffee vouchers, you know, fruit bowls in, you know, kind of the sort of breakout areas, it just becomes the norm and it becomes yeah. a given. And it's not necessarily viewed as a perk. It just, that's always been there, therefore... It always will be there. Um, and then becomes something that people moan about when it's taken away, doesn't or, it? <laughs> you know, or, yeah, or it's run out. And you just, I, I think actually um, most people today want sort of recognition and that recognition is as simple as a thank you. Recognition for the contribution that they make for an organisation. I don't think um, businesses pay enough attention to that, both peer-to-peer thank you, but also the top-down thank you and the bottom-up thank you. They just don't. Um, genuine and authentic yeah. Yeah. not just for the sake yes. of it got it um, and I also think that sort of that idea of giving people that opportunity to continuously learn and grow as an individual um, is also incredibly important you know it, it's as important and as relevant today as it will be you know as you go up through your career whatever wherever you start you know that idea that you're continually growing you're continually learning and that doesn't necessarily mean sort of training courses or anything like that there, there are much more creative ways that people can think about you know kind of that idea of continuous learning you know whether it's budding program whether it's job shadowing whether it's job swaps you know all of those things are really interesting ways of getting some breadth to your role um, and understanding a little bit more about you know the organization and the difference you could make in an organization so I think don't get me wrong perks are great and people will appreciate them, but they will appreciate them for that nanosecond. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the opportunity to learn and develop yourself, both in technical skills, but also in sort of, you know, the softer personal skills, that, that lasts a lifetime. Um, and I think people do genuinely, I mean, I can I look back on my careers and my, my career, and I just thought I can think of two or three jobs, which were probably the hardest jobs I had, or I have had to date. And they're actually the jobs where I was learning every single day. Yeah. And when I was pushed and where I was developed. But I, I can I can say absolutely hand on heart that that wasn't about lots of money being thrown in my direction um, or perks being thrown in my direction. It was just an environment that was created that was very driven, um, very focused on sort of the overall aim of the organization and everyone rallied behind it. And they did what they needed to do as an individual, as a team, as a functional area in order to grow, to help the business move forward. And it was it's exhilarating being in yeah. that sort of environment. It feels like you're winning. It feels like you're moving things forward and it doesn't feel like you're kind of on the treadmill. It's a proper intrinsic motivator, I think, isn't it? That's, so, and those things you've pointed out there are the things which don't necessarily cost money, but they require a bit of thought and maybe creativity, particularly the things to do with what job swaps or um, buddying or things like that. They're all within a, an HR team's um, gift 
if you can find a way of, of making them work, isn't it? Being a little bit creative about uh, about things. And I just they, again going back to your the engagement thing, which is how we started. They they are the longer term things that engage people, aren't they? That's opportunities to learn and grow. And even if you're in a teeny organisation, you can still create ways for people to learn and grow, even if you haven't got the sort of career pathway, isn't it? It's the challenge you were talking about there in your example. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be. And I think the creativity comes in, you know, not everybody is, you know, wants to progress their career, wants to move up the ladder and and kind of wants to progress in that way. Some people just want to come in, do a really good job and they're quite happy where they are. But you've just got to find a way of giving individuals like that some payback and so that they continually learn and can continue to give you know, everything that they can to an organisation. Not, you know, not everyone is going to be hungry for promotion uh, and moving up, but you can still sort of, if you're creative about it, you can still satisfy the need of those individuals that are actually really happy where they're at. Um, Absolutely. Just kind of keep them connected by giving them something. Great. So I, re- I said, I said I, I'll come back to the manager point maybe, and maybe perhaps we end on that one, because we've talked about the per person, some of this could be HR team. We talked about moving beyond per um, processes, um, sort of about rethinking perks that are not just sort of in the moment and become taken for granted. It's much more, it's much deeper and, and longer term. HR can only do so much. A lot of it comes down to the line managers. Um, what what guidance would you do or what advice would you say for an organisation that wants to to get this happening more so in, in there with their, their line managers to, to engender this sort of sense of purpose, sense of being engaged? I think... Um... I think there's a lot that needs to be done in this space, if I'm being completely honest. I think line managers and leaders are a very underserved community in large organisations with huge roles and huge influence. So I think that organisations need to spend more time connecting the dots for line managers so that they understand the direction of travel, they understand what their role is, they understand what they need to do on a day-to-day basis. I think there's a lot that businesses need to do to recognise that um, in order to manage, you need time to manage. So you can't do a job and then have line management responsibilities just added on top of that. Line yes. management. Just squeeze it in. Yes, uh-huh. yes, agree. And we all have those jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's a skill, it's an art, and it needs support. It needs training, it needs development. And it also needs organisations truly investing time in making sure that line managers understand where the business is going, what the strategy is, what the purpose is, how they should behave and act. So they're they're role models for the organizations. They have a huge amount of influence. How that means they should role, act, interact with their people, interact with their teams. Um, And that takes time and it takes effort. And it doesn't always take money. I think sometimes we sort of dismiss some of the simpler, easier ways to engage line manager populations because it's too tricky or it's too big a group and there are ways that you can get to them that are really simple and practical and technology allows us to do that um i do think there is a there's a job in most organizations and i think about a lot of the clients that we've worked for at some point or other in our interactions with them we've had a conversation where we've suggested or together we've sort of come to the conclusion that actually the business is re- needs to redefine the role of a line manager in their organization and articulate what the role of a line manager is within the business because actually unless you tell a line manager what their role is and how and you know how you want them to operate it's very difficult to feel empowered so you know you can't show up differently because you don't really understand what your you know what your sphere of influence is and what your what your remit is within the business so there's a lot of work that needs to be done in that space 
<laughs> there's definitely a requirement for um leaders to be given leaders and managers to be given the time to get to know their people you can't motivate people if you don't yeah. know what motivates them there's a really sort of key so i think it's about time and effort actually and it's interesting yeah and, and i noticed that's come through a few times in terms of your your whole sort of theme here as well as the investment it is about time and effort as opposed to money which everybody therefore has got a chance of doing but you do have to think about it to, to, to make it real and, and also you know this trying things in a small area you know especially in large organizations if there isn't the funding you know find a leader that believes that unlocking the power of a line manager is critical and work with that functional area and almost kind of develop a bit of a proof of concept actually we've engaged these people in a different way we've supported them in a different way um and and we're starting to see some results in the bottom line results um you don't you don't have to go big sometimes it's just about starting small and actually just making sure that the the things that you're doing and the actions that you're taking are driving the right outcomes and and and, you know and you you will have to course correct you know human behavior you're trying to influence human behavior and sometimes you don't always get the reaction that you're expecting when you do something so actually that course correct course correction is really really important um both for the individual you're engaging but also for the organization you know you're not going to get it right all the time and just saying actually do you know that didn't quite work we need to move in this direction is actually a really strong thing I think. So all of these things make, make a lot of sense um, uh, Victoria and I think it's it's really timely for us to think about these actually so it's, it's actually quite empowering to realize that you haven't got to throw loads of money at it so we're thinking a bit differently a bit more creatively uh, about how we get the best out of people in terms of our organizations. If anyone wants to reach out to you personally um, or you know, work with you at United Culture, how would they get hold of you? Um, drop us an email, um, victoria.lewis-stevens at unitedcultureco.com um, or give us a call. Um, and, and even if it's just advice or just sounding boards or, you know, most of our clients are super happy for us to share case studies. So if they just want to have a look at what we've done in a particular type of organisation or particular sector, we're always happy to share. Great. Get some inspiration. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me on the HR Uprising podcast, Victoria. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.